For most people, we see the articles on social media or in newspapers that lead with a headline such as, A body is found. And they list off the location for where it was found. For most of us, it's an intriguing article to read. We wonder, what are the details? How did someone even come across this? And what happened? The headlines are obviously written in a way to get our attention, and it works. But then, there's the family members for missing people. Each of these articles that come out, each Facebook post that is shared, they see it. And their hearts begin beating faster and faster and faster as they click on the link and they wait for it to load. Because to them, it's not just a story. It could be the answers that they need. I'm your host, Koi, and this is the story of Tiffany Witten. Tiffany Witten was born January 30th, 1987, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Her parents divorced pretty soon after she was born. Her mother, Lisa Daniels, described Tiffany as being a rambunctious child. She grew up in Kennesaw, Georgia, a small suburb just outside of Atlanta. In an interview with Esquire magazine, Lisa said that when Tiffany was a kid, she would find things hidden in her toy box that didn't belong to her, and Tiffany would lie about where she got them from. This is probably common with a lot of kids, but unfortunately in this case it was a habit that would follow Tiffany for years to come. Tiffany dropped out of high school during her sophomore year. Shortly after dropping out of high school, Tiffany became pregnant. Due to everything that was going on in her life, she felt that it was best to give the child up for adoption. While this may have been the best option at the time, later down the road Tiffany would talk about how this decision really had a negative effect on her. By 2008, Tiffany was 21 years old and she had another child, a daughter this time. But this was also around the time that Tiffany became addicted to drugs, which started with Oxycontin. Around this time, she was also caught trying to steal a pair of flip-flops from a Walmart. Tiffany bounced around a few places, working as a waitress and a bartender during this time. In 2011, Tiffany moved to Dalton, Georgia, a small town that's near the Georgia-Tennessee border. On March 7, 2011, a woman and her husband were in their home, There was a knock at the door in which two other females and a male were outside telling the woman to open the door. The woman personally knew one of these women as Tiffany. When the woman didn't open the door, Tiffany and the other woman forced it open and they entered the house. At the time, the male also had a crowbar with him. The woman's husband called the police as they were entering the house. One of the three took a purse from the couch and then they left. The woman knew Tiffany personally so she was able to give her information to the cops as a suspect. When detectives interviewed Tiffany, Tiffany said that she knew the woman and that the woman was in her car earlier that day when they were at a Walmart. She said that it was raining outside, so she let her sit in the car and they just talked for a bit. When the woman got out of the car, Tiffany noticed that $60 was missing from her car. Tiffany then got with the other two friends and they decided to go take the money back. Detectives weren't really buying that story and thought that it was more of a drug deal that happened in the car at the Walmart and then Tiffany wanted to get her money back. But even if what Tiffany was saying was true, it's clearly the wrong way to go about getting your money, and since the guy was armed with a crowbar at the time, all three of them were charged with armed robbery. 
Tiffany did a short time in jail for this. While Tiffany was in jail, Lisa started taking care of Tiffany's daughter. When Tiffany was released, Lisa pretty much showed tough love to her. She wanted the best for her daughter. She wanted her daughter to get the help she needed and to live a good life. Lisa told her that in order for her to get her daughter back, she needed to overcome her addictions and turn her life around. Tiffany ended up going into a drug rehab program to get help once she was released from jail. Tiffany then started working at an IHOP restaurant as a waitress in Marietta, Georgia, which is another town that's just a little north of Atlanta, but Tiffany was still going down a pretty rough road. She was in a relationship that ended, and then her roommate kicked her out for stealing. Then she met a guy named Ashley Cottle, who went by the nickname Red, and for the purposes of this, I'll stick with the nickname Red for him. But to this point, it was only known that Tiffany had an addiction to pills that she went to rehab for. And I couldn't find anything that showed if when she got out of rehab she was clean from that. But the relationship with Red is when things started going downhill even more. This is when she started using crystal meth and she became addicted to heroin. Tiffany and Red argued constantly. They bounced around from living in hotels for a bit. One argument was so loud that the cops were called. They then moved to a trailer park where the arguing continued and became so loud and disturbing people that they were evicted. Tiffany wasn't able to keep her job at IHOP much longer either. She showed up high a few times, and then she was caught stealing from the store. On September 8, 2013, Tiffany, Red, and his daughter went to Tiffany's grandmother's house to do laundry. When Tiffany left with Red, this was the last member of Tiffany's family to see her. By September 2013, Tiffany and Red were living in Powder Springs, Georgia. On the night of September 12th, they went to Stephen Weinstein's house, a friend of theirs, and they did some drugs. Around midnight, they borrowed a truck, and they went to a Walmart. And I, I know Walmart keeps getting mentioned in various parts of this. I promise they are not a sponsor of this podcast. But around 1 in the morning on September 13th, they arrived at Walmart in Marietta, right by where the IHOP was that Tiffany used to work at. IHOP is also not a sponsor. Tiffany and Red went in the store together, and they started doing some shopping. Loss prevention officers watched on security cameras as Tiffany and Red walked through the store for about an hour pushing a shopping cart around. Tiffany really caught their attention because she was continuously moving. Even when she wasn't looking at something on the shelf, she was just moving around a lot. The continuous movements that she was making later led investigators to believe that she was still high from the drugs that they did earlier in the night. As the loss prevention officers kept eyes on Tiffany walking around the store, they observed her begin concealing some clothes that they believed she was going to shoplift. Around 2 a.m., Tiffany and Red had a small argument. She wanted to stay in the store, but he said that he had somewhere to go. So they went to the cash register. Red pulled out a roll of cash and paid for some of the items. The loss prevention officers believed that Tiffany was still concealing some clothes. As Tiffany and Red made their way to the exit, the loss prevention officers met them at the door. One of the loss prevention officers went to grab the strap on her purse to stop her. Tiffany let go of the purse, kicked off her flip-flops, and began running out the front door. Neither the loss prevention officers or Red chased after her, and Tiffany has not been seen since then. (laughs) 
How would you like to save a couple of hours each week? Grocery shopping takes time, and time is something that we are always trying to get more of. That's where Instacart comes in. With Instacart, you can spend that extra time catching up on other things like the gym, reading a book, or listening to a podcast while you're reading a book at the gym. Instacart also uses its technology to highlight deals to help save you money. The shoppers pick the freshest produce and they even keep your eggs safe. Instacart delivers to your door in as fast as one hour. If you use the link in the show notes, it helps support this show and it lets Instacart know that I sent you. And you will get a free delivery on your first order of over $35. And now, back to the show. Their surveillance video shows the loss prevention officers waiting at the door. They were expecting Tiffany to return. They had her purse, they had her shoes, but she never did return. Red said that right after she fled from the door, he started looking around the parking lot for her. He said that he did not go back to the truck because there were drugs in it and he was expecting the cops to get called. So he didn't want to be around the truck. Red also said that he walked around to nearby stores to include the IHOP that Tiffany used to work at but he didn't see her anywhere. When Red went to IHOP, Tiffany's old roommate, the one that kicked her out, was working there. She later told investigators that she did remember seeing Red there a little after 2 a.m. He was sitting on a bench outside the restaurant and she never saw Tiffany. The roommate said that she told Red to call Tiffany's phone. He claimed that he was sitting there so that he could charge up his phone and that some friends were coming to pick him up. The former roommate recalled that a short time later, Stephen Weinstein and two other females pulled up and they picked Red up. Later on, Stephen would tell investigators that when he picked Red up, Red told him about Tiffany running off. Red then told Stephen that he threatened the loss prevention officers with a gun after the incident. Stephen didn't believe that part of the story and later on, Red would say that he lied about that part because he wanted to try and impress Stephen. So, um, weird situation to want to impress someone but for whatever reason he wanted to impress Stephen right there so he made that part up. Stephen, Red, and the two other women began driving around the roads that led back to Stephen's house. Red expected that Tiffany would try and make her way back to Stephen so they were trying to find her walking that direction. After having no luck finding Tiffany throughout the night the next day Red went back to their house. He spent the next several days making phone calls to ex-boyfriends, hospitals, and even jails trying to locate Tiffany. Later on down the road, investigators were able to get Red's phone records and verified that he did make all those calls that he said he did. Two weeks later, there were still no signs of Tiffany. Red then told his probation officer about her disappearance. And here's where there's a little bit of a delay, a little confusion, and where a whole lot of hopes were being made. Red didn't initially tell Tiffany's family about her disappearance. By this time, she hadn't had much contact with her mother since August of 2013, so it wasn't uncommon for Lisa not to hear from her for a while. Almost two months after Tiffany's disappearance, in November 2013, a letter from a Walmart lawyer was sent to Tiffany at her grandmother's address. The letter was seeking $150 in restitution from the items that Tiffany was alleged to have stolen. But Tiffany's grandmother was also used to not hearing from Tiffany for long periods of time. She suspected that since Tiffany was caught shoplifting while she was still on parole from the robbery charges, that Tiffany was probably just trying to lay low. Tiffany's grandmother did call Red, though, and this is when she learned that Tiffany had not been seen since September 13th at Walmart. Tiffany's grandmother then told Lisa about Tiffany missing. 
Lisa went to Facebook and learned that Tiffany had not posted anything on Facebook since September 1st, which would be extremely odd for her to go several months without posting a single thing. When Lisa called Red, he told her about the efforts that he had been making to try and find Tiffany. They were hoping that if Tiffany was trying to keep a low profile, that she would reach out to them with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. The family's hopes rose as Thanksgiving came, but they slowly lowered after Lisa didn't receive a phone call from Tiffany. She didn't show up at her grandmother's house, and Red didn't hear from her as well. Christmas approached with the same high hopes, but Christmas soon passed with the same results and lost feelings. In January 2014, Lisa reported Tiffany missing to the Marietta Police Department. The detective that investigated Tiffany's disappearance told Esquire in an interview that the case was already cold when it came to them. It had been months since Tiffany was last seen. After interviewing Red, the detective believed that he had been involved or at least knew more information than what he was giving on Tiffany's disappearance. The detective also noticed that Red's car had been cleaned out pretty thoroughly, which Red said that he normally cleaned out his car, often due to having drug paraphernalia in there. In March of 2014, a drug enforcement task force raided the house that Red was living at. There were also seven other people currently living there with Red. In the raid, they located weed, meth, guns, and dog feces all over the house, and needles just lying around everywhere. As a result of this raid, two children that were living there were placed in the custody of social services, and all eight adults, including Red, were arrested. Given the condition that the house was found in, it would seem odd that Red kept his truck very clean, but not the house where his own daughter lived. After interviewing everyone that lived in the house, investigators developed information that led them to Red's mother's house. They executed a search warrant there in July of 2014 and searched the property with cadaver dogs. But there was no evidence found from that search. In 2015, there was a different detective assigned to Tiffany's case. And this detective received what appeared to be a major break in the case. A district attorney approached the detective and informed him that a meth dealer heard from some of his friends that around the time of Tiffany's disappearance, Red and some of his friends went to Lake Alatoona just north of Atlanta and threw a concrete-filled barrel over the bridge. The detective brought in sonar equipment that was used by the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. They found a large object that was 40 feet deep right below the bridge. When state patrol divers went down to check it out, it was just a large chunk of concrete that was from the bridge's construction. Neither the divers or the sonar equipment located anything similar to a barrel filled with concrete that was described. And that has really been the last lead, or at least publicly made lead, in Tiffany's case. While the leads and tips may have gone cold, the theories have not. It's believed by investigators and by Lisa that Red knows more than what he's saying, or that he was directly involved in her disappearance. While cameras do not show the outside parking lot, Lisa believes that Tiffany would have ran straight to Red's truck. Getting in a vehicle would be the fastest way to get away, but there isn't a lot of time between when Tiffany began running and when Red showed up at IHOP alone. So for him to have done something to her and then hit her body, it would have had to have happened very quickly. The other theory is that she was found that night by Red and that she may have died of an overdose and that Red didn't do anything to help her and that he hid the body somewhere else. Red has maintained his innocence in this case, saying that the last he saw Tiffany 
She was running through the parking lot and he had no idea where she went. But he does have a theory. He believes that if Tiffany was met with foul play, it was by one of her ex-boyfriends. He said that there's one ex that it's a heavy meth user and that a month after Tiffany's disappearance, the guy was having a bad trip on drugs and he believed that armed men were chasing him because of something that he did to a woman. In a 2016 article published by Esquire by Tom Junid, Lisa said that she runs the Facebook page Find Tiffany Witten. Through the page, Lisa is exposed to a lot of cruel things where people send messages or comments about Tiffany being dead and hidden in various places. But Lisa goes through each and every one of these comments and messages because she hopes that one day something will come across that is actually helpful. Lisa sees and she's sent articles constantly about a body being found by her friends and sometimes by complete strangers. Where the article is about a skull or partial remains and every time she reads the article wondering if it's Tiffany and she follows up on every single one of them keeping in contact with law enforcement to see if the remains found may be Tiffany's. As of now, Red is in prison. On his drug charges, he's sentenced to 20 years in prison with a minimum of 10 years to be served. Tiffany is still missing, and Lisa is still continuing her efforts to find answers for what happened to her daughter. And this is going to bring us to a conclusion of this episode. If you'd like to listen to a few more episodes, please check out the Crime Nerds Patreon page. For $5 a month, you'll get two extra episodes, a few more perks, and you'll be helping support this show a lot. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.